New video of a deadly rampage through a parking lot. Why the victim's family wants you to see it while the driver is sentenced. Help for flood victims. $53.6 million in new funding. What it means for B.C. communities still struggling to rebuild. And Vancouver gets a kick at hosting 2026 World Cup Games. It's so exciting for our soccer fans, but really it's also going to be so important for the tourism sector. The flip-flop that has FIFA taking a second look. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum has had the prospect of a public mischief trial hanging over him for weeks, threatening his chance at re-election in the fall. But today, McCallum got a huge break with that court date pushed back until after the vote. Aaron MacArthur is live in Surrey with the latest. Aaron. Yeah, Sophie, uh, people in Surrey and across the province will head to the polls for their municipal election October 15th. Doug McCallum will head to court for his public mischief trial on October 31st. It means voters here will have no idea as to the status of Doug McCallum's mischief charge until after the election, or for that matter, what this will all cost. As you might remember, McCallum is accused of making false statements to police after an alleged incident involving members of the pro-RCMP group who were canvassing for support. Mr. McCallum's high-priced legal team and Crown Counsel have been meeting for months trying to fix a trial date, and that has finally hit the court docket, as I said, on October 31st. The woman who is running against Doug McCallum in the upcoming election, Brenda Locke, says this has gone on long enough and is urging Doug McCallum to step aside. McCallum needs to do the right thing. He needs to do it now. He needs to step down and stop embarrassing this city. This is going to drag on for a very long time. It's costing an incredible amount of money to the city of Surrey, but it's costing to the general taxpayer of British Columbia. This is ridiculous. Now, of course, this will be prime political fodder for Brenda Locke leading into the election campaign, certainly able to use this as the campaign unfolds. Of course, Doug McCallum's legal costs all on the taxpayers of Surrey, including his lawyer, Richard Peck, who has been involved in several high-profile cases over the years. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Aaron MacArthur in Surrey tonight. And now a heartbreaking story. A family who stopped to help a stranger had their lives tragically altered. Relatives believe it's important for you to see exactly what happened in that chaotic and violent scene. Global News has obtained video evidence from the ongoing trial, and we want to warn you, parts of it are disturbing. Romina Dea reports. The Sandoval family did the right thing, stopping to help a man in medical distress. But that decision, four years ago, destroyed them. The family really isn't a family anymore. It doesn't function like a family. February 1st, 2018, Eduardo and Kelly Sandoval and two of their four sons in their vehicle when a man knocks on the window yelling, help, my brother's dying. Eduardo sees a man frothing at the mouth, clenching his jaw, lying on his side in a black pickup truck. Kelly calls 911. After Travis Perry learns police are en route, he backs out, hitting two cars. Dante, 10 years old at the time, jumps out of the way, the truck smashing into Kelly and her youngest son, five-year-old Emmett, despite mom's heroic efforts. The mother instinct came in. She knew the car was coming, and so she risked her life and pushed him out of the way. 
The driver ends up crashing into a McDonald's drive-thru, then slams into a bus shelter. Emmett suffers minor injuries. Kelly walks out of hospital on crutches. But there's a ticking time bomb in her body. She suffers a massive hematoma to the right leg after being pinned on a fence by the truck. Kelly dies six weeks later from complications. She really is gone. She won't be back. And I just look at her sons and... It's just so wrong. You know, the youngest was five. I don't even know if he'll remember her. And what a sad, sad thing for my daughter. Perry initially charged with four counts, including criminal negligence causing death and impaired driving causing death. But a plea deal is struck. On Monday, Perry pleaded guilty to the lesser offense of dangerous driving causing death. Crown seeking a jail sentence of one and a half to two years. Defense asking for a conditional sentence to be served in the community. No jail time. I would like to see some jail time because I I think he has to pay somehow. He has to realize what he's done. The case continues April 20th. No sentence can resurrect the happiness lost. Kelly's husband, broken by grief. The kids, missing their mom so much, still trying to make her proud. Romina Dea, Global News. The provincial government has announced millions of dollars of added funding to help communities recover from last year's devastating floods. As Kamala Karmali reports, the 10 municipalities and regional districts appreciate the money, but worry it's not nearly enough. Five months after floods tore through highways, submerging neighborhoods, and leaving thousands stranded, BC communities are rebuilding. Good afternoon, everyone. The province now announcing $53.6 million to support flood-ravaged communities. This funding will help accelerate local government recovery efforts and support critical planning and set up immediate temporary housing. In merit, that money will allow many to return home. I'm over the moon happy. We should be able to start erecting housing for those without a home. The 53.6 million split between 10 communities ravaged by floods in November, including Abbotsford, Chilliwack and Merritt. But that money is just a drop in the bucket for what's needed. B.C. has earmarked just over two billion dollars in its 2022 budget for response to climate events. But Abbotsford mayor says it'll take nearly three billion dollars alone to bring three dikes up to provincial standard. The province's mayors also met Monday to ask the feds about the delivery of $5 billion promised by Ottawa. The federal government's been a little slower to come to the table. Uh, the $5 billion is just, just a beginning. Princeton's mayor, happy to get the financial help, but frustrated the funding is only trickling in in dribs and drabs when what municipalities really need is a flood of cash. We were asking for a quicker turnaround, uh, faster, faster um, process. I mean, it, it seemed to be consensus was if you're going to send us money, it needs to come faster. And if the money flows in too late, it's farmers like Gary Bars that could pay the ultimate price. The threat of another flooding disaster hitting when municipalities haven't even collected the money to fully rebuild. Just this daily kind of worry like, okay, hey, are we going to get hammered again? And is all this cleaning up and rebuilding and, 
you know, thousands of man hours from many people volunteering their time and many people giving generously. Is that all for naught if we get hammered again? The federal government still without a timeline for when it would release its billions to B.C. communities. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Drug advocates have come out firing on the sixth anniversary of the B.C. government declaring the toxic drug crisis to be a public health emergency. As Amadagahi reports, they say the government's support of a safer supply isn't turning into the action they need. Today is a day where it's okay to be angry. Jennifer Howard's son, Robert, died from a fentanyl overdose in May of 2016, just one month into B.C.'s public health emergency. Well, that crisis is now six years old, and it has victimized thousands of other families like hers. It is unacceptable that we are losing six British Columbians per day to this crisis. And with the failed drug policies that are in existence, we will continue to see record deaths. We demand more action from this government in response to this crisis. No punches were pulled on Thursday, whether it was at this Victoria rally or during a digital press conference by the drug user Liberation Front. We are here six years into a crisis with small incremental steps, putting band-aids on bullet holes while the numbers continue to rise and people continue to die. Every day our phones ring. Who's next? We're afraid to answer our phones. This is frankly a crisis. I am acting under the emergency provisions of the Public Health Act of British Columbia. No one. Not even the person who called the emergency back in 2016 predicted it would last this long. Our legal system has created a toxic drug supply. I think we have an ethical obligation to figure out how do we turn that around. And that's where the safe drug supply comes in. And while calls for a regulated safe supply of drugs continue to get louder, the province says it is moving as fast as it can. We're going to continue to broaden access points, uh, broaden the number of medications, um, add more things to fair pharmacare. Um, and, and the advocates are right. More is needed. And that's what we're doing. More than 9,400 people have died during the health emergency. And estimates are that number could break 10,000 this summer. Amadagahi, Global News. All right, let's take a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for B.C. There are 364 people in hospital. That's up 40 since last Thursday, 36 of those patients in the ICU. There have been 23 more deaths from complications of the virus. And we have 1,770 new confirmed cases since last Thursday. Lest anyone get alarmed, that's a week's worth of numbers. Let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on those numbers. Uh, Keith, what do the indicators tell us about our province's latest wave? Yeah, the bad news is all the indicators are going up. They're not going down. The good news is the increases are almost negligible. We seem to be plateauing rather than increasing. Take a look at the numbers in the latest uh, weekly report coming from the Center for Disease Control, the April 3rd and 9th reporting period. Hospital emissions are up, but only by three. Weekly cases are up as well, but that's almost negligible considering how much testing is not going on. Deaths are up as well. The positivity rate continues to inch up 8.2% from 7.5%. But keep in mind, we were in the mid 20% back in January when things were really bad. The sixth wave really hasn't taken off to any great degree, unlike what we've seen in Ontario and Quebec. Health Minister Adrian Dix today say the situation is stable, but still one to keep an eye on and get that booster dose. 
we're seeing a relatively stable situation, certainly not seeing the dramatic increases we're seeing in other provinces. And it just shows that we have to continue to be prudent and why it's so important right now, really important right now, that people get uh, their fourth doses, their second booster if they're eligible, and their booster if they're eligible, or to get vaccinated because that makes all the difference in them dealing with this very challenging period of COVID-19 in B.C. Yeah, when it comes to those boosters, Sophie, inexplicably, there's about 68,000 people out there over the age of 70 who have received invitations to come in and get the booster. They are the most vulnerable segment of the population getting the worst outcome of the virus. So the encouragement is get that third booster dose because you can't get a fourth booster dose until you get a third one. And the fourth ones are starting to roll out for people over 70 on a higher and higher number every single day. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Some Okanagan farmers are on edge tonight after a serious type of avian influenza was identified on a farm in that region. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says it's quarantining a large North Okanagan poultry operation where avian influenza has been identified. It says the entire stock of thousands of birds will have to be euthanized. Farmer Heather Lewick says she stepped up her biosecurity after she saw Cases of the easily transmitted avian flu surface in other parts of Canada. So if I go to any other properties, I don't often leave my house. But if I do, then I will make sure that I bleach and spray my shoes as well as clean everything that has touched anywhere else. My flock is my heart and my soul, right? Like these chickens mean so much more to me than just my farm. And I would be absolutely devastated. It causes widespread mortality. Um, so our policy in Canada is to, to deal with avian, in, avian influenza via stamping out policy so that we can prevent spread to other, uh, other susceptible species. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says human infections from avian flu are rare and there's no evidence that eating cooked poultry or eggs can spread the flu to humans. Well, Vancouver has won the chance to be a host city for the World Cup of 2026. It has been added to the North American options to hold games. It's up to FIFA to make the final call. And as Richard Zussman reports, now that Vancouver is in the field, it might push Edmonton out. Let's go, Canada! One step closer to eyeballs from soccer fans all over the world being on BC Place. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. It's so exciting for our soccer fans, but really it's also going to be so important for the tourism sector. On Thursday, FIFA officially put Vancouver back on the map. Now, one of the 23 cities that could host games between the United States, Canada and Mexico at the 2026 Men's FIFA World Cup. A unique situation considering the province originally said no, now to be added just a few weeks before FIFA announces the 16 host cities. I have a lot of hope. I mean, Vancouver has an international reputation as being an excellent host of international events like the 2010 Olympics. Also, uh, BC Place is one of the best stadiums uh, in North America. Of the 80 games in the World Cup, 60 will be played in the U.S., 10 in Mexico. And 10 in Canada, Edmonton, Toronto, and now Vancouver make up the Canadian options, with many in the soccer community believing Vancouver will bump Edmonton out. They never supported FC Edmonton during my time. It was very, you know, as good a product as we had on the field. The, the fans were still reluctant to come out and watch, whereas the Whitecaps fans are very loyal. The city of Vancouver has put in $5 million to support hosting and has no more to give. 
The total cost for Vancouver to host is expected to be between $240 and $260 million, with up to at least $1 billion in economic benefit. You will have people who don't have tickets who will come uh, and who will watch games in restaurants, they'll watch games in North Plaza, they'll watch games at the p and in the fan zone. Uh, and so you'll have that, that spillover effect. Although Vancouver would be the host city, other cities across the province, like Victoria, could cash in, hosting exhibition games or training camps. I know that the team who's negotiating, we want to see the return on investment across the Lower Mainland and, in, and throughout British Columbia. A brand new grass field to BC Place is part of the package, but the province has not released the specifics of the hosting application. Those details will be provided if the city does get the shot to see the best take their shots here at BC Place. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A sad day for old-school home movie fans in Vancouver as one of the last vestiges of a bygone era is packing it in. Black Dog Video on Commercial Drive announcing today it is closing up shop after 26 years. The owner says business has been declining for some time, while costs have been steadily rising. He says true movie lovers are losing something, something they can't get from today's convenient in-home technology. We have, like, you know, films from the turn of the, you know, the 19th century. So like, we've got like such a rich history of film here that you can't find anywhere on any of the streaming services. And that's all going to be lost as well, um, which is really sad for myself because, you know, I love old films. I love all films. Um, it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to have this. And so nobody else is going to be, uh, it's not going to be available to anybody else either. Gay says the store will tend to tentatively stay open until the end of June. He's aiming to start selling off his stock starting May 1st. It's paradise for dog owners who like to let their pets roam free. But after a wave of concerns, why dogs have been banned from this popular West Coast beach. Next on the News Hour. Yeah, if, something, if, if, if I acquire a Twitter and something goes wrong, it's my fault, 100%. <laughs> Elon Musk makes an offer to buy Twitter. What the world's richest man had to say about it during his appearance in Vancouver. Also, young children come into contact with a noxious substance on the playground. What police say about how it got there coming up later. Right now, though, dog lovers near Tofino have lost a popular place to let their pets run free. Starting today, dogs are banned from Comer's Beach for the next five months. Kylie Stanton shows us how it's an effort to protect migratory shorebirds. The signs are up here, there, everywhere. It's official, the dog days are over. The closure only affects dog access um, and it will last from April 14th through October 1st. Parks Canada is imposing the ban here on a trial basis to protect shorebirds during a critical time in their migration cycle. It's where they come to rest and forage for food as they move between the Arctic and as far away as South America. Imagine you've just ran a marathon and you've stopped to get some drink and some food and then somebody, somebody comes over and pushes you off that refreshment table. So you go to the next one and somebody pushes you off that one and then third one and fourth one and in the end you've exhausted your reserves. It will apply to the Comer's Beach area of Long Beach in the Pacific Rim National Park Reserve, roughly 10% of the total area. 
And so far, tourists aren't barking about it. It's dog heaven, and there's plenty of beaches, I think, for dogs. So a little preservation, I think, is a good thing. He loves the beach. But, I mean, he's got the other end of this beach is fantastic. But what may come as a surprise to some, dogs must remain leashed at all times, not just in the permitted areas of Long Beach, but right across the region. Well, it is our bylaw. It's been a long-standing bylaw. Uh, it hasn't really been enforced, but, uh, but we are having to look at it just with the volume of, of people, the volume of dogs. And the fines are rough. They start at $58 for a first offence, but repeat offenders in the protected area could be dinged up to $25,000. We're trying to somewhat decrease level of disturbance to give these birds a bit more space to exercise their natural history. The hope is this will allow park staff to study the effects on birds and other wildlife in the area, calling the measure a last resort. Kylie Stanton, Global News. RCMP are trying to figure out who's responsible after spikes and a PVC pipe were placed through a fallen old-growth tree inside the Ferry Creek Injunction area on Vancouver Island. The tree was found last Thursday, and Mounties believe it was intentionally placed near the Granite Mainline Forest Service Road to disrupt operations or injure loggers. 30 metal spikes were inside the tree, and police believe, believe the plastic pipe was intended to be used as a sleeping dragon, commonly used by protesters, protesters to secure themselves to a physical structure. RCMP called the setup dangerous and are continuing to patrol the area. Some major developments in the war in Ukraine, and one big mystery. What really happened to a Russian warship that's now at the bottom of the Black Sea? And later, why there's a new plaque in Terry Fox Plaza. Still plenty of leftover volume over here for westbound traffic on Highway 1 to the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge after clearing an accident involving a dump truck at mid-span. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. Well, one of Russia's most important warships has sunk in the Black Sea. Ukraine claims one of their missile strikes was responsible, but Russia says otherwise. Either way, it's a big blow to a military struggling against Ukrainian resistance. Global's Mike Armstrong has more on the loss, and the region Russian troops appear to have set their sights on now. Two months have brought a lot of change. This is video of Russia's flagship vessel and its Black Sea fleet, the Moskva. When the Russian military released the video back in February, it was a show of force. Now it appears to have been a sign of overconfidence. According to this Ukrainian military spokesman, its forces hit the ship with a missile, it started a fire, and the ship started sinking. The Russian military has a different story. It isn't acknowledging any attack, saying simply there was a fire and the ship had to be evacuated when ammunition started exploding. It's a big blow to Russia. Washington hasn't confirmed either story, but the U.S. National Security Advisor says it looks bad on Russia, whether it was an attack or an accident, what he calls incompetence. And neither is a particularly good outcome for them. Russian officials are pushing their own supposed success stories. The spokesman claiming the last 24 hours their aircraft hit seven military facilities in eastern Ukraine. 
That region is very much now the focus for Russian troops, in particular the Donbass region. The port city of Mariupol appears to be close to falling under Russian control, if it hasn't already. The Ukrainian foreign minister says the news coming out of the besieged city is hard to hear. To unblock Mariupol and to save them, literally to save them, we need uh, more weapons. Now, Canada is one of the countries helping with those weapons. But the deputy prime minister said Thursday there's also a focus on war crimes. Rape is being used as a weapon in this war. We are not going to forget. And we will work with Ukraine and with our democratic allies around the world to bring the perpetrators to justice. Now, on the western side of Ukraine, tensions appear to be tightening. The Netherlands Thursday showed off four F-35s it's now deployed in Bulgaria to reinforce NATO's eastern flank with Russia. Our coalition operations sent a strong signal to the Russian aggressor that chose to invade a sovereign European nation. Moscow, meantime, is pushing back. It says it's watching the buildup on its borders and says its defense ministry is working on plans in response. Mike Armstrong, Global News. Coming up, a playground prank that went too far. Young children injured after exposure to a burning substance. And VPD cracked the case of stolen sculptures missing from BC Children's Hospital. Still super busy for traffic in both directions here on Georgia Street as everyone continues to use the Lionsgate Bridge as an alternate to the iron workers. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above West Georgia in downtown Vancouver. A disturbing prank today at a school playground had paramedics attending to seven children in Port Moody. Police and ambulances were called to Aspenwood Elementary just after noon for a number of children who were reacting to an unknown substance. It turns out someone had deliberately smeared hot sauce on a number of high-touch surfaces in the playground. The children were treated for minor injuries, including exposure to their eyes. Some went home with their parents while others remained at school for the day. Police are asking anyone who noticed anything suspicious at the playground to contact them. A valued sculpture stolen from the grounds of the BC Children's Hospital has been recovered. Police tracked down the artwork in East Vancouver this afternoon after it was stolen in the early hours of April 3rd. The bronze sculpture is worth more than $45,000 and is intended to be part of the hospital's healing environment for children and families. No arrests have been made so far. New questions are being raised about BC's wood pellet industry. Pellets are billed as a green way to produce power by burning sawdust and other byproducts from the forest industry. But provincial timber production is declining, and as Paul Johnson reports, conservationists want to know how much viable wood is going straight into pellets. If I told you that this tiny wood pellet was a revolution in reliable, renewable British energy production, would you want to know more? It turns out some want to know a lot more. This is a video from the British energy company Drax who over the last few years have taken a dominant position in BC's wood pellet industry, which amounts to wood harvested here 
being burned to make electricity in places like Drax's giant power station in the UK. We really feel it's important for the government to fully disclose how many logs are going to the wood pellet industry in this province. Ben Parfit has been trying to understand the impact of the pellet industry on BC's forests and economy. He believes many trees are now being purpose cut for the pellet industry, but says if you want to know more about that, Victoria is not making it easy. When I asked the government to provide basic information on how much wood is flowing to the pellet industry, I, I was told that I would have to file a formal freedom of information request. And that often takes months. In a time when Parfit and a handful of conservation groups and unions are saying the province's forest industry is about to hit a turning point, caused in part, they say, by the pellet industry. In effect, the government is turbocharging logging rates in our province, and the net result of that is going to be a dramatic decline in the not-too-distant future in the amount of trees that are logged in the province for the very simple reason that there's not enough trees to go around. The Ministry of Forests told Global News Thursday that pellet mills consume less than 1% of harvested timber. And Drax says their pellets are made from waste wood or sawmill residue. But to underscore the company's growing power in the province, Drax has recently added to its executive roster with the hiring of BC's former chief forester, Diane Nichols. Seen here talking up the pellet industry in this promotional video. It fulfills a niche in their sector that we didn't have before. Paul Johnson, Global News. The iconic Terry Fox statue at BC Place just got a new addition today, one that celebrates his Métis heritage. We're forever enshrined at Terry Fox Plaza at BC Place. The Métis Nation British Columbia unveiled a plaque that will be placed in front of Fox's statue in recognition of his contributions to the nation as a leader in fundraising for cancer research. Fox's maternal grandmother was Métis, coming from a family of buffalo hunters and fur traders on the plains. Many of the 12 core values of Métis people are Terry's values. This history of roaming the land, leading and adhering to a set of values was always there within Terry. The Métis have often been referred to as the forgotten people. Things like this help us unveil that we are a distinct peoples within our society. Day out. The plaque was designed in partnership with the artist Douglas Copeland, who originally designed the statue in the spirit of reconciliation. A well-known Vancouver firefighter's life was celebrated today, two years after his death. Captain Steve Letourneau was a legend serving in all of Vancouver's fire halls and was once toasted at City Hall for his 35-plus years of service. John Waugh has his story. Over an incredible 37 years, it was a career defined by lifting others up. He cared about people more than he cared about himself. And he cared about the fire service and his family. Captain Steve Letourneau built a legacy as a Vancouver firefighter by leading from the front. He meant so much to this department. He was an exceptional firefighter and an exceptional officer. This a long-awaited opportunity to say their final goodbyes to a man who knew what family truly meant, both at home and in the fire hall. Lower. 
Letourneau died at the age of 59 after a hard-fought battle with cancer, the result of exposure to chemicals while on the job. This was a, a tough service for us because Steve passed in June of 2020 in the middle of COVID. So it's been, it's not been till today till we're able to honor our, our fallen member, Steve Letourneau. He showed his dedication throughout the years by keeping watch over the holidays. We like to do our jobs, but on Christmas we kind of like it to be quiet. That way everybody else has a, has a good Christmas as well. In the face of occupational cancer, he displayed true courage and no quit. He battled that cancer for five years, often told many times that this would be the end, and he kept persevering. These firefighters from across the country proudly following in Letourneau's footsteps, picking up the fight for better support, including a national framework for prevention and treatment. We need to do everything we can as fire chiefs so we don't have to put our other firefighters' families through what Steve's family has had to go through. Now it's their turn to lift up Captain Steve Letourneau and his legacy as he leads them from the front one last time. John Hua, Global News. Lovely tribute. Still ahead, makers making change. Inventors finding ways to improve the lives of the physically challenged. And how Tesla CEO Elon Musk got the world's attention during his visit to Vancouver with a ploy to take over Twitter. What do April snow showers bring again? You. Um, we never did come up with an answer did, to that, we? but... Uh, it felt more like spring today anyway, Christy. It was pretty nice in some spots, wasn't it? Sure was. It's nice to have some sunshine in the mix. So we're still dealing with the same air mass where we're seeing some instability, but it's not as intense as what we saw when we had all that snow. So this is going to be the pattern for the next couple of days. Sunshine, but still a slight chance of a few showers across the region. Today's daytime high because of the sunshine ranging from 10 on the island to 12 degrees, still slightly below seasonal for this time of year. And it's still below seasonal in through the interior, but at least those areas are seeing nice sunshine. Most of the action was across the west coast of Vancouver Island with lightning strikes, a few isolated showers across our region as well. Here are some shots. This is from Port Alberni showing a downpour of rain there. And this was the scene looking towards Metro Vancouver from Crescent Beach. So things will settle down overnight. It will be cold overnight. Tomorrow afternoon, pop up isolated showers again. And that's going to be the patterning through the interior. So keep your eye on the sky because not only will we see these pop up showers, but also a risk of thunderstorms. Through the far north, though, we're talking about sunshine there. It's really just these isolated showers in through the interior and that risk of thunderstorms from Whistler over all across the south coast really. So again staying below seasonal for this time of year as we head into the weekend still a chance of showers on Saturday. Sunday looks the best of the bunch. Perfect timing for Easter egg hunting before rain returns on Monday and it looks like it certainly is going to be wet. Tonight I will leave you with tonight's central windows weather window from Vancouver and this is a great shot of uh, the blue sky on the left and Virga on the right. So it's trying to rain, but it v- evaporates before it hits the ground. Great shot there. Thanks to Mark. Cool. Wide angle. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, during his visit to Vancouver today, the world's richest man ignited a global social media firestorm with his offer to buy Twitter just weeks after becoming its largest shareholder. Tesla CEO Elon Musk made an offer of more than $54 a share. That's about $43 billion. 
He calls it his best and final offer. If it's not accepted, Musk says he would reconsider his position as a shareholder. He was asked about it today at TED Talks in Vancouver, saying Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, so uh, it, it, it's just really important that people have the, both the, uh, the reality and the perception uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. Hmm. I can think of a lot of things I'd rather spend $43 billion yeah, no on. no kidding. <laughs> he likes to stir it up, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. All right, uh, Squire, who is on Twitter but never uses it. No, I like to read what other people have to say. I don't really have a lot to say myself, no, except right now. Forum here. I have something to say right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elias Pedersen has everyone talking, including his own teammates, who say this might be the best Pedersen they've seen. You know, uh, you know, a few of us were even talking about it the other day and how well he's playing. He might get some more points tonight as the Canucks host Arizona, which is a game Vancouver is heavily favored to win. Also coming up, a game changer for the physically challenged, assistive devices, and how this group is inspired to invent them. All right, still hoping for wins are the Canucks these days. Well, they should have one tonight. Arizona's in town. This is a game not only do the Canucks have to win, quite frankly, they should win. Arizona is the worst team in the NHL when it comes to points. Vancouver, as we know, has everything to play for. Arizona hasn't had anything to play for since November. The uh, Canucks have won four in a row, and during that winning streak, Elias Pedersen has 10 points. The way he's been engaged and the way he's, you know, moved his feet and the way he's dropping his shoulder, you know, on guys, it's, uh, you know, it, it might be the best hockey he's played in my mind. And, uh, you know, it, it's... It's a great show of character for Petey. You know, uh, the ups and downs, I've, you know, I've gone through a lot of that as a young guy. And, uh, you know, for him to, you know, get to the level that he's playing at right now, it's, it's a big building block for him and, and the group. And when he's going like that, we know we have a chance every night. Canucks are trying to get, catch either Dallas or Los Angeles. So Dallas Knight is playing Minnesota. Up, up. They're on the power play. But this is Kevin Fiala who's scoring for the Wild, and that's a goal the Canucks will be cheering because it makes it 2-1 in the second period for Minnesota over Dallas. While Canada plays Latvia starting tomorrow at the Pacific Coliseum in the Billie Jean Cup qualifier, it's a two-day matchup to see which country advances to the finals. There are four singles matches and one doubles. Vancouver's Rebecca Marino and, of course, Leila Annie Fernandez will be handling the singles for Canada. Vancouver's hosted a few Davis Cup ties over the past decade, but now it's the ladies who will feel the love with the Billie Jean King Cup and the adoring Vancouver tennis crowd. Canada is expected to roll past a young, inexperienced Latvian team, but just in case there's a lull, that hometown support will provide a big boost. It will help tremendously. I've heard in the past that they are very loud and they're very into the tennis matches, so I can't wait to feel that energy and hopefully they can be as loud as, uh, as in the past. And no one will feel that support more than hometown girl Rebecca Marino. She will personally know a very large portion of the crowd. 
Oh, we definitely got a, a big whack of tickets, probably about 50 tickets for family and friends. Um, but I know there's a lot more friends and family who've bought tickets on their own, so we're trying to fill the stadium as much as possible. But to, to have my friends and family here in the first place is just an amazing opportunity, and I'm so excited. Latvia is without their top player, world number 11, Yelena Ostapenko, out with a wrist injury. So Canada is confident they can win. Their goal, advance to the finals tournament in November, taking another positive step forward for women's pro tennis in Canada. You're extra motivated uh, for, for your teammates who are, who are rallying behind you, for all your fellow country men and women who are in the stadium and watching um, nationally, so there's extra motivation in that sense. Uh, I just want to, one, be a good example for, for the younger kids, for the next generation. I want to show them that if you just keep fighting and keep working hard, things will go your way. All the BC boys are on the PGA Tour uh, for this week's Heritage Classic, and uh, Surrey's Adam Svensson is in a big tie for third at minus five after 18 holes. Uh, Merritt's Roger Sloan, minus three. Adam Hadwin's two under. Nick Taylor is even another Canadian in this tournament who is tied for third with Svensson is Corey Connors, who's coming off a great Masters, and here's a great shot from him today at Hilton Head in South Carolina. Par 3, 7th, it's 187 yards from where he's standing to the hole. And he doesn't even need his putter. That one's in. Nice. Watch this. They say Chicago's a windy city. Here is a perfect example. Mariners and White Sox, it's blowing hard. This is a pop-up. Nope, nope, nope. Wind's got it. Here's another pop-up. Right in front of the plate. Uh, nope, nope. Down it goes. Here's another pop-up. Everybody's running around, and it still hits the ground. <laughs> J.P. Crawford couldn't handle it. Okay, Mariner fans, despite what you see there, they still won the game 5-1. Yes, that's why they call Chicago the Windy City. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Squire. That's crazy. Up next, we'll show you the story of another Squire who inspired life-changing inventions for those with mobility issues. Andrew is standing by with details of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. And thanks, Sophie. Several vehicles have been impounded in an area known for street racing in Surrey. RCMP say last month a vehicle traveling along 190th Street was clocked by police going over 150 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone. The luxury vehicle has since been impounded and the driver ticketed for, of course, excessive speed. And a rough start to the long weekend when it comes to travel. We are keeping an eye on the delays at BC Ferries after one of the vessels was pulled out of service last night. Right now there is a backlog and BC Ferries says delays will be likely even if you have a reservation. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. It's a rough start to the long weekend for sure. Thanks, Anne. All right. Neil Squire was a basketball star at the University of Victoria back in the early 80s when an accident changed everything. His recovery led to new inventions and innovations that continue to help Canadians living with disabilities. Jade Rant has the inspiring story tonight on This Is BC. Every tool an avid inventor needs which is a big part of what they're doing here at the Neil Squire Society, developing assistive devices for people with disabilities. Probably about 80 projects that we're just trying to chew our way through right now in the, in the pipeline. Neil Squire was a basketball star at the University of Victoria. In 1980, he broke his neck in a car crash. He could no longer move his legs or arms and was unable to speak. 
until his cousin Bill Cameron, who was an engineer, found a way for him to communicate. Uh, punch out some letters. He taught him how to use a straw in his mouth, and even though he didn't have much breath, he could use his cheek, and, and that would allow him to do uh, sip for a dot and puff for a dash. It was a breakthrough starting point. The society formed in 1984 after Neil's unexpected death. For 38 years now, they've found creative ways to assist Canadians with disabilities. I wanted to get it from point A to point B. From something as simple as a cup holder to developing skills to find a job. And adaptive gaming, giving everyone a chance to play. Uh, mother, who's a quadriplegic, play with her young son. And it was the first time she was able to game with her son. And she was just, now I have something I can do with him the first time I've ever actually beat him at any game. Even the executive director got to face his grandson in a head-to-head -head hockey game. He uh, blew me away, but... Their Makers Making Change program encourages anybody, even if you don't work there, to come up with a creation that can help. We're, we're about a thousand different uh, devices going out. Um, a year dog treat dispenser the straightforward solutions to go along with high-tech alternatives all part of a legacy that is still inspiring others nearly four decades later i actually think of them almost daily and i think they would be very happy about what we have done and continue to do jay durant global news Great stuff. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something you want to share with the rest of BC, just email your ideas to Jay. The email address is thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, Christy, uh, with the lack of rain, I'm really noticing how dirty my car is. And I, I know Kalis has been <laughs> I, noticing it too. I'm glad you brought it Are up. Are you complaining? <laughs> no, not at all, but I guess I should get my car washed. <laughs> right. So we don't have any rain in the forecast, any major rain in the forecast until our Easter Monday. So over the next couple of days, keep your eye out for a few pockets, isolated showers, but overall dry, but still a little cool for this time of year. All right. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.